I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Amanda Kovatana. She's a biracial, tricultural writer who grew up in Bangkok in a pre-industrialized Thailand before immigrating to California in 1968. She came of age as a lesbian in the San Francisco Bay Area and is the author of two memoirs, Diamond Noi Pocket and The Girl's Guide to Off-Grid Living, about which we did a great interview. Her recent book, The Unexpected Penis, Conversations on the Gender Trail, is a primer and memoir of her observations of the transgender phenomenon. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. And second, thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. So you've thought a lot about um, the end of empire and the end of civilization. Um, Can you talk first about how and why you've come to that? And of course, we discussed some of that in the Off-Grid Living book. But can you discuss that a little bit and then talk about some of the craziness that comes up when when empires end? Right. Well, I was very involved in the peak oil community once I learned about it. And I realized that we were not going to be reaping more from our industrialized society because of oil peaking. So that's when I realized that I needed to my life so that I could live within my financial footprint, my environmental footprint, and carry on life with more security rather than being in debt and just hoping things get better and I get more income, however that worked. So that's how I began my journey into off-grid living. And I I was intent on reskilling and learning non-gasoline-powered mechanisms like scything, cutting grass, grass with a scythe and... I also have a hand-cranked sewing machine. So all of these things appealed to me quite a bit. I, I also realized that this was not the way that other people were planning their lives. They were seeing things more as things get better, will become richer, acquire more properties, and that, that will be the, the goal of our lives. So I knew that there would be kind of a cognitive dissonance when people realized that this wasn't going to happen. It's a lot like this eternal youth culture. We think we'll be young forever, so we don't really prepare for becoming old. But at least we know that exists. So we're not making stories up about why is it that was we're not young anymore. So that that's sort of where I'm seeing society come to this point now is trying to describe why is it that life just feels a bit out of control and we're all waiting for the next disaster, climate disaster or political da- disaster or the the end of democracy. So that's what's interested me now. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, right. So, so the story, I mean, 
there's so much we were supposed to become more resilient, but somehow we've become more fragile. Are you saying socially? Are you saying politically? Are you saying personally? Are you saying emotionally? At what level are we becoming less resilient and more fragile? I think uh, personally, because we've become so protective of minorities and so intent on removing harmful words or being kind and all of that, we were teaching people that they are under attack, whether for racism or LGBT, whatever. And that doesn't build resilience. It it just builds victimhood. So that's what the stories I am watching now. So can you um, can you generalize a little bit about um, you know when 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 we set up this this interview it was we were having an email exchange and you were saying these extraordinary things about um, that uh, the uh, um, the the uh, about the end of empire and what that does to us psychologically. So can you sort of uh, talk about, can you expand on those last few sentences that you said? Right. So much has to do with the stories we tell ourselves. About 20 years ago, you know, about the time of the inconvenient truth, Al Gore and his campaign about climate change, we were all gung-ho about, well, let's figure out what we can do to reduce our carbon footprint, to uh, give us a better chance at stopping climate change. At that time, we, we thought we could. And then what can we do to use less resources to put use less fossil fuels that is contributing to global warming. And that went on for long enough that we kind of lost the momentum. We, we, we lost faith that we could actually change those, change our trajectory. And then it just, because of the, the internet, social media, and all of that began to hit, it distracted us so much and it became more and more about our own self-performance and our own identities. And somehow collective project of being aware of the environment seemed to get lost. So that's where I was coming from. So I want to read something from, from, the, the, the note you sent me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in the early 2000s, I, that's you, I was studying empire and the collapse of empires. I was sure that the collapse of Rome had the answer. It's really interesting, had the answer. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what question, what answer? And I've been expecting Caligula ever since the movie theater I worked at in college showed the movie bearing his name in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, blah, blah, blah. I was struck by this sentence from my summation, that's your summation, of Joseph Tainter's book, The Collapse of Complex Societies. It was published in 88. Quote, if a society fails to solve 
problems of insufficient resources or environmental degradation, then he feels that it is not a dysfunction of the complex society, but of the psychological underpinnings of said society. We are definitely at these psychological underpinnings. So that is, let's, let's, can you just sort of really dive into that? I want to say one more thing too, which is that when I wrote my book, The Culture of Make-Believe, what that was really about in many ways was when you have a society that's based on competition like ours is, as that society collapses, people go crazy. And the thing I did really well in that book is I described the sort of rise of the Tea Party before it happened. I predicted a lot of this stuff, that the sort of right-wing insanity. And the thing I completely missed in that book, and if I were to rewrite it now, I would put in a chapter, which would, of course, make it so the book wouldn't get published, um, about left-wing insanity. I completely missed that. And so take yeah. anything take anything I said any direction you want. Except uh, make sure you make sure you mention uh, collapse of empire in it too. Yes, yes. Um, Rome, you know, has been such a uh, a symbol of overexpansion and eventual collapse. But in in high school, when I learned about the collapse of uh, the Roman Empire, I never quite understood what it was that really uh caused the collapse even even after reading Tainter's book it, it's a combination of resources overextension and he he does make that interesting comment about uh, if we're not smart enough as a society to figure out how to conserve resources and it has been done in the past because Japan did it at one time when they created a culture of just enough so that they could conserve resources and carry on so we haven't seemed to be able to do that we, we have such a huge capitalist momentum going that is more interested in sustaining its growth than actually creating a sustainable culture. So that's what brought me to think that Tainter could be right about our culture not being healthy enough to really assess where we're at and do, do something more sensible. So is is part of what you were saying earlier about the the victimhood is that um, as resource as, as the society begins to collapse, we have a sort of zeitgeist or worldview or a, a generalized perspective of victimhood because you know real wages have been falling since 1971 and. You know, there's, it's just a cliche at this point to point out that, you know, one 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 worker, one one person working could support a family in the 1950s and 60s, and now we have lots of people barely making it on two salaries. You know, so there's this sort of generalized feeling of of you know something being off, as well as of course the collapse of the planet. We that, that something feels off, 
and then we misascribe that to personal victimhood? Is that what you were getting at? Hmm. Or am I misinterpreting? Uh, that's a possibility. Although I think we're more distracted by our own victimhood because to be a victim means that you have no agency. So then it's not up to me to help us become a more resilient society that's more sensibly using resources. And that, that is the whole victimhood thing is, uh, came out of the left maybe because that was all that the, the left had to push as as uh, a political agenda they they had pushed the environmental agenda quite a lot but it didn't seem to reap as the, as much uh, political capital as it had at one time probably because Nothing really came of it. We, we didn't sign agreements. We didn't cut back. We didn't do a sort of Manhattan project about using fewer resources. And instead, we just left it to the market forces to take over with, well, we will expand, we'll get our energy met through renewables. We'll just have to switch over to that, which is, of course, resource intensive and more about expansion of a different industry than it is of actually curtailing our appetites. So um, I'm going to ask this, and, and maybe I'm just restating what you're stating, or maybe I'm confused or maybe something, but it 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 has long seemed to me that like with the environmental crisis you know the the destruction is accelerating and mm. we're we're um not uh and and you know no matter what we do we're you know species extinction is increasing habitat destruction is increasing and i often think of and and you know Capitalism is, you know, there is there is no, you know, real pretense of community self-determination. And so I, I often think of Eric Fromm's line about I affect, therefore I am. <laughs> and if we can't, if the left is kind of failing on the larger scale, because, you know, it's it's like Gail Dine says about how there is, you know, if, if left is at base anti-capitalist, there is no left in the United States. Right. And if they're. If they're failing on that massive scale, well, the least we can do is make sure somebody uses the right pronouns or make sure somebody – I mean, is that part of what we're getting at with this? Is it sort of a, a, a symptom of the failure to affect large-scale change, or, or am, I, uh, am yes. I missing the point? I think we are uh, feeling this lack of agency to – to do anything significant except to so so we've been diverted into this sort of liberation victimhood uh, narrative where our chief concern is about how we protect kids from being bullied how we welcome lgbt 
youth and this this is just complicated things more for society for for the stability of society especially when we start talking about uh disregarding biological reality because then it becomes arbitrary then then we're talking about um being unhinged from reality and there being no agreed upon reality so that begins to make it more difficult to defend reality and keep law and order so when you talk about unhinged from reality are you primarily uh, is this a segue that we should talk about your new book or are you is it, are you going after postmodernism in general or what 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 is your emphasis with the unhinged yes. from reality because I, 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 I think I, this is true on so well on one more level it's like it's so crazy to think you can have infinite growth on a finite planet you know there's we're unhinged on that level too right um, anyway so which which level do you want to talk about i'm i'm kind of flummoxed why we are not continuing to talk about fi- finite resources on a finite planet. That just doesn't seem to be as much of a conversation. So, and, and I, I do fault postmodernism for kind of uh, splintering reality into all of these, you know, there's no one truth, there's a million and one truths because everybody has a different point of view. And we have to res- respect all those truths. So it, it's atomizing the populace rather than because we're no longer even collective. We're, we're more like, okay, what's my truth and how can I help others defend their truth? It's just not a productive line of thinking in my mind and let's go back to the word distraction when you when you said that earlier that this is a distraction and i don't mean to get conspiracy theorish but do you do you think this is sort of a distraction on a psychological level on a social level do you think it's a an individual coping mechanism with the sort of larger helplessness we feel or do you think it's more like stage magic that hey look over here while well, the reaction somewhere else hmm. Politically, the Democrats have definitely taken us into the realm of identity politics and defending trans people, LGBTQ, all of that just to show that they're actually concerned about something and doing something. So that that's one piece of it, and it seems to have worked for them so far. I don't think it will for long. Um, well, I think, I think it's I, I, a perfect storm, you know, that we're being distracted because there's so many platforms to be distracted upon. And we're very attached to old narratives about the right wing. They're always coming after gay people. They, they're haters. Uh, so here they are again because they didn't win before. So 
know, where do we go from there? We, we, the, the Democrats have to keep on proving, oh, we're, we're protecting you. And part of the problem is that when I'm, I used to, when I used to do public talks before I was canceled, I <laughs> would, one of the questions I would ask was, do you believe the government takes better care of human beings or corporations? And everyone would laugh. And out of thousands and thousands of people, nobody ever said, oh, yes, of course, they take better care of human beings. And for me, this comes back to the distraction question of, you know, there there is, um, as corporations ravage the earth, they ravage democracy, they ravage communities, um, and... You know, the, 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 the Democrats can still say, oh, look, we're doing something, but they are, um, you know, not, I mean, I, I hate to make this a Democrat Republican thing because I don't think that's really what's, what's the issue here. What's the issue is the collapse of empire. But for at least my adult life, the Democrats only argument has generally been, um, at least we're not Republicans. And I I do see that 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 ends up being a bit of a stage magic um, distraction. But but I feel like I'm I'm getting off the point. Um, And the the point I want to go back to um, that this is I don't want to particularize this too much, but instead I want to see and I want for us to try to be clear on what is the relationship between all of this and sort of late stage Rome or late stage collapse of any empire. Cause I think that's a point that people really need to understand. Yes. Um, well, late stage Rome, as, as I was mentioning it in the movie Caligula was so much about depravity. Uh, Caligula being the emperor who was bringing it all in. And the movie was certainly showing this to be the case. And that was near the end. Well, and it occurred to me more recently that society that has experienced such success uh, as a population and has fighting for so long and, and now is overpopulation is facing a, a sort of depressing premise that humans are bad. And this is a sentiment that I think has become widespread. You know, there's too many humans. We're consuming too much. It's all humans' fault. If we disappeared, Earth would regenerate and everything, all the animals and everybody would be saved. So... We don't want to have children. We don't want to bring them into this awful world only to consume more resources, etc. And and this is a very self-hating concept for a society. So people are just not as focused on the future, on the well-being of children. I I find that to be that when a society isn't focused on the well-being of children, that something is really going awry. I'm not sure if any of my 
peers would agree here, were a rather childless group. My LGBT peers, who very few had children, and none of my close friends did. So I've been seeing this kind of、uh, shrinking of, of the population through my peers. Nobody in in my circle really has a concern for children. I I I hear what you're saying, and I would like to expand that to.、Um, I mean, there are a lot of obviously with the population going up, there are a lot of people who are having children, but I would also. Argue that, and maybe you're saying this too, that when we do live in a sort of post-peak oil world, and when we're staring at ecological collapse, that that also is a form of harming children. Not having them is not having a, but 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 the the、um, but environmental degradation. Is is a form of not caring for the health of the children. I was, yes. Gosh, this was like thirty. No, it was twenty twenty years ago, twenty five years. Ago, I don't know, a long time ago, twenty years ago. I was asked to、uh, be basically the sole environmental voice at a children's health conference,、hmm. and the the organizer asked me to bring up. You know the the health of the environment, the the issue I just said that that as the environment is falling apart, that's、um, that is a form of harming children, and it was the amount of hostility I, that I received from all of the regular children's health advocates、hmm. was pretty extraordinary.、Um, they were telling me I was wasting their time, that、um, we need to take care of children's cancer and not worry about. You know, non-humans, and not worry about the endocrine disruptors that are, you know, and the the, the、mm-hmm. toxins that are causing the children's cancer in the first place.、Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an extraordinary experience for me to、um, to have any environmental concern. The 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 the, the disjuncture between children's health and health of the environment was made very clear to me, or between concerns for them. Peculiar. Yeah. I, so let I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That that could be part of our kind of everybody's working for their own particular organization, their own NGOs goals, and they tend to believe this is the most important thing.、And、you were introducing more of a big picture of we need to look at the health of the whole organism, meaning the environment and the Toxins in it. So let's let's pivot a little bit. And do you want to talk a little bit about your new book? Because you have a new book out. Yes, it's called、um, the the unexpected penis conversations on the gender trail, and it, it's I I really wanted to grapple with this phen- phenomena of gender identity suddenly becoming. The new state religion. Why were people falling for this?、Um, where did it come from? And so, in doing that, I 
it was explaining it to myself and also in discussion with it with other people and learning how they understood or didn't understand it so that I could make my presentation, my argument stronger. And that was uh, what resulted in my book being as as concise, short, pithy, and using the old language so that what I mean is not using preferred pronouns, not using all this new language that has taken over our discourse. And as soon as I clawed back the old language, things became so much clearer, both in my mind and in in the mind of the reader. And that allowed people to see this cognitive dissonance that was going on. Like, why are we allowing men in women's prisons, in rape shelters? It just doesn't make sense when you use the proper biological words to describe what's going on. So that's, uh, I think, part of the the success of my book so far. So can you, can you, can you walk uh, listeners through that a little bit? Because they obviously, not obviously, but, but a lot of them have probably not read the book. So right. um, can you, I mean, yeah. So can you walk them through it? And I, I, I was, I was going to, you can go any direction you want, but I mean, it's, it's a striking title and, and there is, <laughs> Do you want to talk about the reason you chose that title, or do you want to just talk about the book? Uh, well, I could start with the title. It, it's the premise of a man who wants to live as a woman is that he's had the surgery that then converts the penis into a neo-vagina. So that makes him a kind of simulacrum woman. And because of this, for all practical purposes, he can be a woman. He is a woman in the eyes of society. At least that's how we had it when the first uh, trans women appeared, as they had been with uh, the tennis player, Rene, and other, other famous people. So the unexpected penis came out of my trying to say that most men who are now identifying as women, since the largest population, second largest, to become trans, to come out as trans, were middle-aged heterosexual men who had not had the surgery. And this, this wasn't really a well-known fact. So that, that, that's in part why I want, I called it the unexpected case because the populace was expecting there not to be a penis. So the fact that they're popping up now is unexpected, you know, in women's locker rooms, uh, at the spa, naked. So that was also, it was also a humorous way to approach it 
for me as a lesbian to find out that men were now to be considered lesbians with penises. So that's uh, part of, part of the whole story. There's there's so many um, tentacles to this story that there being now men in prisons, men in unexpected places, and also how it is being taught to our young people. There's there's a huge push to establish this story as a part of education to teach children that they have a gender identity. This was not something we ever taught before. And it wasn't even something that was ever in the gay community before. Nobody spoke of, uh, they might have said, I have the soul of a woman in, in that sense that they felt identified as a woman. But there wasn't any phrase, gender identity. It had just sort of been invented. So for me to see that now this had become a, a phrase that we had slipped into all the non-discrimination policies so that we, we now had to, were required by law to uh, bow down to this gender identity to, to the, to anyone who says that they were the opposite sex. So now they should be considered to have the privileges, rights and privileges of the sex of, that they desired, meaning they could compete on women's sports and represent women in public office, take grants and positions that were set aside for women. All of this had now come in just on the basis of an unverified identity that that could only be verified by that person themselves. And I I came from this because from my culture in Thailand, which already had the whole uh, gender, cross-sex gender tradition, which is is called third gender tradition, and that's part of part of the rationale that by the American trans movement that this has been around forever. Well, it has been around. This, the cross-dressing presentation has been around, but it's not by virtue of defying the laws of biology. It's a construct that allowed people who wanted to live as the opposite sex to do that. But there was no, at no time did anyone ever say that person is the opposite sex. And there was no uh, societal push to give them the rights and privileges of the opposite sex. It was just accepted as part of the social interactions. And these people were largely gay. 
So both men and women who cross-dressed were assumed to be gay. And I think uh, Americans also assume that cross-dressing men were gay, that that this was just another bigger uh, way of being gay. And because we did so badly in not accepting gay people before, we must now do our best to rectify that and accept these men as they present. Women not being as, as much of an issue. So that, that's, uh, was the, the main premise of my book. It, it was not to, it was not my purpose to really persuade people, uh, of my point of view. It was more my purpose to present all the information so that people can then make up their own minds. And a, a lot of the reaction, especially from straight readers, is that this is a very eye-opening book because I've told so many things that were not told in the liberal press, as it were. I think one of the most important things that we as writers can do is whenever possible to describe physically what's happening without rhetoric. And I know that I say we're Hmm. killing the planet. I don't mind adding rhetoric after, but you also have to talk about 90% of the large fish in the oceans. You have to talk about what's physically happening before you make your conclusions. And so I'm just saying this in terms of really appreciating the fact that you don't assume the new language, but instead you just talk about, you don't talk about, oh, is, you say there is a person with a penis in a, in a women's spa. There is a, a man, a male with, with an erect penis in a women's, you know, it's like that, that's, 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 you're just saying what physically is happening and then moving on from there. And I I think that, that I, you know, maybe most listeners don't care, but I think as writers, that's one of the most important things we can do is to, is to get to the basics of what actually happened. Yes. And because our journalists have already been informed by a uh, writer's guide. It's like the trans community came out with information. They gave it to journalists and said, you want to do it right. This is a civil rights movement. You want to use the correct names, pronouns, all of that to make sure you're on the right side of history. So journalists who had already been uh, trained in universities with similar outlook were so eager to get on on it that they could not describe reality. They could not say that this was a man in the spa. <laughs> so how you know we we were totally flummoxed already because nobody can read an article and know the truth. 
So, I mean, that was a very slick move. The whole pronouns thing has just disconnected us from reality so efficiently that nobody could see what the was. We read in pa- papers, not infrequently, lines like, um, she raped her with her penis. Right. I, that's that's a line I've read, and it's it 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 that makes me think of 1984. I mean, it's just that's not how things work. Right. And these are often recorded as the crimes of women too. Um, yes. I mean, like in police are. records. Yes. Which will then mess it up further down the line. Will suddenly have a bump in women raping women. Or women doing crimes that that hadn't really been a big factor for women before. And Gosh, people seem to be okay with that because we've come to the point where we don't talk so much about the differences between men and women. And that's what it means to have equality. The first thing that I was accused of, along with J.K. Rowling, was that I was referring to a, a feminism, an outdated essentialist feminism, meaning that women do actually have biological differences. I didn't really understand that at first. Well, um, we we do have differences. Um, I've mentioned this before. I was a pretty good high jumper in college, and won my small college conference championship and set the score record and i was not within 14 inches of the men's world record so i was good but not great Mm. but i would have i would have um i believe i would have held the world record for women and i would still to this day be within a quarter inch of the women's world record and i wasn't that good i mean i was good but i wasn't i wasn't world class Uh uh-huh and and if i were a woman and jumped the same, I would, I would have been one of the best high jumpers of all time. Just yesterday, I read in the paper that um, a woman, in quotes, uh, in Canada, uh, won a national championship and beat in, in weightlifting and beat the closest uh, women by like 200 pounds. It's and it was a guy who yes who, mm. who did it, and it's just. It, I, I, I don't understand. Okay, there should be women. Obviously, should have the right to vote. They should have, they should have equal rights. But that doesn't mean that there is no difference between a man and a woman. Uh, there has never been a male who has given birth. I mean, it's just, it's just this, right. this, this, this level of madness. Which we have like five minutes left. Do we want to take this? Do we want to take this back to the end of empire? Because it's all just. It's 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 mind boggling to me the the level of um of nonsense that we are I mean I write constantly all of my books have really been in some way or another about denial and I'm consistently stunned by by the level of of I mean in, in one of my first the the the, a language older than words was my first big book, and the first line of that book, when I originally wrote it, 
was in order to maintain our way of living, we must tell lies to each other and especially to ourselves. Uh-huh. And even having written that as basically the first line of my career or close enough, I'm still stunned. It, I, I, I mean, it, it boggles my mind that even I don't get it. Do you see what I'm saying? Hmm. The, the level of cognitive dissonance that we are expected to embrace daily, I can't get over. Right. And it's also been noted by other writers like Camille Paglia and people who, who have studied civilization that there does become a sort of mangling of gender roles at the end of society as well as more uh, pressure on women. The Salem, I mean, the, the witch trials were definitely about blaming women for various failures, crop failures, and and it was all to get women away from being the healers and allowing men to become the healers and the whole of medicine growing out of what men were studying to do to the body. So in in a sense, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of capitalism's ability to exploit us as consumers. So now we are being trained to accept that we can use medicine to create better humans rather than to rediscover what would actually nurture us and make increase our immunities our immune systems and our ability to function so both on a medical and a mental health level we are creating people who need these services the focus on mental health issues and the drugs that are marketed to help with any sort of ailment is is an end stage of capitalism. So that's where I, I would say that it's the momentum of our capitalistic endeavors to come to this point combined with a preference for what we think over what is real and 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 with our sort of cultural uh hatred of the body too that we will be saved by technology that we won't even need our body because we will be able to create better mechanistic means to breathe to to and it's also the trajectory of capitalism to consume as much of the available resources to keep on perpetuating itself and the profit from it. So we're we're running out of time, and I have two questions. One is, um, can you can you sum up, which you've already done a pretty good job of? Can you sum up even more? And second is, how can people uh, find out more about your work and your newest book. Yes. Um, 
other other societies definitely ran out of resources. Easter Island building their magnificent heads in a sort of arms race for appealing to the gods used up all its wood or resources in order to build those things. And other cultures did too. And so they were out of resources and had to disappear back into the forest. Uh, so that, that's the end game if we are going to continue without trajectory of this. So that's my summation. My book can be found on Amazon, uh, and Kindle, and I am writing a substack to continue the conversation. So that's under Amanda Quintana, uh, Tales from the Gender Trail. And can you spell your name, please, for people? Amanda, A-M-A-N-D-A, Kovatana, K-O-V, as in Victor, A-T-T-A-N-A. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, and thank you for your work in the world. And I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Amanda Kovatana. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. <laughs>